So I do not know what's going on in the ATV. I just don't have a friend, the bandwidth. <laughs> so, wish them luck. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm James in Toronto, and you are. You just I I can't see the queue. I missed oh. the queue. I am Jonathan, and I am in Long Island City, New York, right now. Yeah, uh huh. Which is a neighborhood in Queens. You are attending the U.S. Open this week, and that might explain the shitty quality of this audio. We've gone through many many scenarios trying to fix it and this is we're just at our wits end so apologies yeah. if this is not up to snuff okay so what was your question my question was well i know what you've been up to so far but why don't you tell the listeners what you've been up to so far well you only know the half of it James. <laughs> you think you think you know what i've been up to i got into town a little over a day ago and then last night I went to the Billie Jean King Tennis Center to watch the tennis plays for peace or tennis players play for peace or something. Mm -hmm. And then I came back today and watched a few qualifying matches. Okay. So I know you that you saw Chris Eubanks. Uh, you saw Sasha Vickery. You met a few mm -hmm. tennis Twitter people you haven't met before. That's correct. I also saw a snippet of Anna Bogdan, who I've always enjoyed watching on TV. Okay. Uh, I See can't that? say that I know what she looks like or uh, how she plays. <laughs> See, I told you there were things that I've been up to that you didn't know about. <laughs> uh, so as you were coming home this evening, as I was patiently waiting for you to record this episode, you texted me and said, I found the ideal commute back to the hotel. You know, I'm going to take the seven train, transfer to the F and it's a quick walk and I'm there and I'm waiting yeah. and I'm like, where, where is he? See now you're such a wicked, wicked person because <laughs> I did not say ideal. I was just pushing back at you when you gave me a very specific way to go yesterday and I didn't initially and then you yelled at me and so I, I discovered today that that way would have actually been more convenient it just so happens that on my way back today I wasn't paying attention as I do and I got off at the wrong stop <laughs> and I I got lost for a bit but I ended up finding a fabulous taco truck and that was my dinner so Suck on that. Uh huh. I'm happy for you. I have not eaten. I probably won't eat until about midnight. Um, but it's fine. You know, you're on vacation. Enjoy. I enjoyed the irony of you telling me you had found a better way. I was just trying to help. I, I wasn't telling you this is the quickest, most efficient commute ever. I don't live in New York, right? I was just trying That's to help you. But see, I've given in to the fact that I am directionally challenged. This is something that I accept about myself. This is something that you should know by now. You've, you've been in my presence with me being completely clueless at the most basic directional stuff. Like I, will be in the, I will be in the mall and I go into a store and I exit the store and go in the complete opposite direction and I'm back at square one. Like that's how bad it is. <laughs> okay. So what we're going to do on this episode, as usual, is to preview the United States Open. This is episode 275. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't know if that has like a, a special name, but 275, it's kind of a milestone. I would say so. That's, that's kind of a lot. It's taken us 275 episodes to get to a Grand Slam. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, if you think about it, that means people have been listening to our voices for like 400 hours at least, like at the very least. Uh, we've been listening to our voices for like 1,000 based on uh, the editing that we do. Yes, yes, way more than that. 
uh, congratulations to us, I guess. I'm I'm pleased. What are I'm you excited. I'm oh, you know what's awesome is that I got to put the red wine in the fridge for once because <laughs> oh I'm the one God. drinking it. I don't need to put an oh ice cube in it because God. it's it's already cold. See, I it's an Italian American thing. But like a very lower class uh, Italian American thing, which you, I own proudly. You you are the only Italian American in your family that I've seen do that. So I don't know where False. you're going with that. False. Oh, My that's parents. A lie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lie. Yeah. I was thinking the ice cube. They don't do the ice cube, but you do the ice cube. They don't do the ice cube because their wine is already cool. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I know you're having a birria taco and you're drinking something, Modelo? Close. I'm drinking a Carlsberg. That's not close at all. Um, Thank you for playing. Uh, (laughs) It's a beer. It's a beer. It is. Yeah. 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 Anyway, Jonathan, what are your initial impressions of, of being at a slam tournament, being in Queens? What is it like? Am I in Queens? I don't know. There's so many different names. You are. It's really big. Queens is really, really big. (laughs) I I feel like a complete fish out of water. And it's actually quite exciting to be on your own, having to figure things out by yourself and make mistakes. What of it? I don't have to be held accountable for it, except when I'm running late for a recording. (laughs) Uh, But... It's been exciting, to say the least. I have to keep reminding myself that the tournament hasn't even started yet. I'm looking around, I'm at these matches, and it feels like a tournament because, I mean, hell, the qualifying draw is 128 players just like the main draw, and you're watching it go on these same courts. And it's like, well, no, no, it's still still four days away before the real stuff starts. I still am not sure I've even walked by Ash Stadium yet. That's how big the the complex is. Court 17 is fantastic to watch tennis on. You can just walk and get a seat courtside and you're actually below court level, if that makes sense. So that's a a viewpoint that I've never had before. Okay, so like the court surface itself is elevated from where you enter the stadium or the, the court? No, you enter the court from like up top and you walk down, but the very first seats courtside, they're a little bit, I think, below like court level. Oh, okay. Interesting. Where now, where is court 17 in relation to other things? So, I mean, the US Open, you get the, it's kind of swallowed up by Arthur Ashe Stadium, right? Everybody talks about that stadium. It. It's where all the big players play. It's where all the big night sessions are. But when you enter the stadium, the the complex, it's not there. (laughs) You know, you expect, like when we go to Toronto, when we go to many of the the other tournaments, the main stadium is immediately visible, right? Mm. I don't know what it's like at other slams. This is my first one. But I get the distinct impression that Arthur Ashe was an afterthought in terms of it being built, right? Which is kind of what happened. Like you had this site where Louis Armstrong was the main stadium, I believe. And then they decided to to upgrade, to build this new thing. And so it's kind of off off to the right a little bit once you you go in. Um, I was in Armstrong last night for the tennis players piece thing. And that stadium is... It's just a dream to watch tennis in. I don't think there's one bad seat in it. Okay, cool. How far is the walk from the Mets-Willits subway station to like the entrance to the grounds? Two, three minutes tops at a brisk brisk pace. Well, like in, we're talking like in gay speed. (laughs) So like three minutes for everybody else, it might be five. Yeah, maybe five tops. But I'd heard that the Mets baseball team the stadium was right there as well Mm -hmm. and it actually is just right there it's it's crazy that you have these two massive professional sporting stadiums and complexes just beside each other it's so convenient you get off the subway you turn left you go to Billie Jean King Tennis Center you turn right you go to City Field for the Mets and I may do both in one day at some point while I'm here 
What I did love is that every day that I've been here so far, and that's been two, there have been <laughs> vendors outside the stadium trying to haggle and sell you stuff. Three waters for $5. Today, because the Mets game was about to start, everybody's out there selling you beer out in the open. I'm like, is this legal? I don't understand. <laughs> Coming from Toronto, you know? And so the guy's like, yeah, $5 for a short boy. That's what we say in Canada, right? Short no, boy, yeah, I, be- I think that's just what you say. <laughs> for like a, a 355 milliliter. Yeah, it's for Americans, it's like a 12-ounce can. But in, in Canada, the tall boy cans are much more popular. Yeah, for like a Coke yeah. can, it was $5. So I was leaving the tennis today and say, yeah, I got one. It sure beat spending $15 on a Heineken. Yeah, or tw- or $22 on the worst of the melons, honeydew. <laughs> Let me tell you, the drink was good, but by my count, it's one and a half ounces of alcohol. And what they're really uh, charging you for is the gray goose because the goose is expensive. And there's another, there's some kind of liqueur in there, a brown one. Okay. Some kind of fruit liqueur. That's the other half ounce. And then there's lemonade. And then you get a skewer of three honeydew balls. Right. And, you know, and who wants that, really? It was fine. The, 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 I didn't mind the, the, the fruit at all. <laughs> um, it was a cute experience. But for $22 a pop, I'm pretty sure I heard in previous years it was $20. But for $22 a pop, and I'm not buying a drink without tipping. So for $25 a drink, that is prohibitive for me, I think. Yes. Greg, and that's American dollars. 20, right? 25 American dollars for... That's like $30 for the, Canadian. Yeah, for the worst of the melons. It's not even cantaloupe. Greygoose.com says it's Grey Goose, Lemonade, uh, and Chambord. Yes. That's so it's it like the raspberry liqueur. Yeah. Yes. This, okay. Something this we could definitely, definitely make at home. <laughs> we are not buying Grey Goose. We are certainly not. So let's talk about US Open. We got some news today. Mercifully, an hour and 40 minutes before the draw dropped, uh, not the jaw, the draw, Novak Djokovic finally pulled out of the US Open. How about that? Imagine. The, I guess... He was waiting until the 11th hour to see if the CDC changed their ruling. And by the way, like it's not only up to the CDC. <laughs> They're just step one. Uh, they changed their uh, their advice for U.S. citizens, right? And U.S. permanent residents. But foreign nationals were still not allowed into the U.S. without a vaccine. That has not changed. That should not be surprising. Uh, yes, it's a political decision. Yes, it's a practical decision. I'm really not commenting on like the logic of the, the government position. Just the fact that Novak should have pulled out a long time ago. Um, I'm not even sure I'm on that fence to say he should have pulled out a long time ago. I think he's within his right to hang on to see if something will change. Okay. If he... <laughs> I I do like from a logical perspective I totally understand give yourself a chance to play if there's a chance that the rules will change the Mm -hmm. problem is there's so much added noise to this discussion from his fan base from US politicians who want to use this to score political points Uh, there's so many people who've got something to say and Novak has, in his silence and in his delayed withdrawing and in the wording of his tweets when he does withdraw, he has not, I'm not going to say he's allowed himself to become, but he's, but he's definitely not shied away from being the martyr in this situation. Yeah. Uh, so it's evident in the type of people who line up in his defense a lot of it is, uh, you know, the Republican Party in the United States, far-right politicians from other countries, uh, fans, of course. Like, I expect fans to get on board. That doesn't mean it's logical. It's just, like, how are we here again? You know, when he says 
he'll graciously accept whatever whatever the position is his principles mean more to him than getting another grand slam that's fine but like show me some principles are you gonna hang on until the 11th hour like in in the australian open you literally delayed the draw you knew you couldn't play so can we move on can we please move on because he could have easily said guys fans thank you so much for your support i don't want to be a political tool this is my personal health decision this is not politics to me and he never said that and i'm not saying he's responsible for his fans or responsible for the way that his decisions are politicized but enough is enough like this feels like theatrics to me right because he's not getting the vaccine he's made that his decision that at this point i really don't care I don't care if he has the vaccine. It's none of my business at this point. What I do know, what is my business, is that he's been extremely reckless and had poor judgment throughout the pandemic. I mean, that that's gen that's a generous reading. <laughs> <laughs> We've somehow forgotten collectively about all the timeline hmm, murkiness of everything that led up to Australia. You know, yeah. there was some... Mm-hmm some things that implied some really untoward and uh, bad, bad behavior. We're at a point now where with so many people involved, his fandom, people from outside of tennis, people who have been following this all along but are just so damn fatigued about it, it's easy to lose track of and forget everything that's come before to be like, oh, yeah, like, why is it such a big deal now? Mm-hmm. But we should not forget. <laughs> no. Well, I feel like it's emblematic of how where we are with COVID, COVID in general. Did you, you almost know, say COVAX? COVAX. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, when I've been in the U.S. recently, and even here in Canada, nobody has a mask. It's like, honestly, it's like it never happened. And so I I think about the things that we have forgotten and, and papered over when we sort of resume life as normal, even in the in the wake of, say, in Toronto, a seventh wave, a literal seventh wave of Omicron B whatever, uh, the millionth variant of Omicron. And what's really interesting about the Novak thing is that in Australia, I saw, you know, you saw a lot of solidarity with refugees because he was in a hotel where refugees were basically condemned to for years. And in New York, this is about Republican politicians making this really disgusting comparison between a virtuous immigrant like Novak and these diseased illegal masses, as they would say, who are crossing the border into Texas. And it shows like how how malleable this philosophy is. Right, because these American politicians, these Republicans, they they don't know jack shit about tennis the majority of them don't even know who novak djokovic is no no do they don't care they're not even gonna watch it if he had played did you read or see novak's statement i did do you want me to read it i have it right here can i okay sure sadly i will not be able to travel to new york this time for us open thank you hashtag nole fam for your messages of support and love good luck to my fellow players I'll keep in good shape and positive spirit and wait for an opportunity to compete again. Strong arm emoji. See you soon, tennis world. The part that just got me just, mm, was, and wait for an opportunity to compete again. (laughs) Yeah. I'm past the point of caring. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to make the argument that, oh, you should be vaccinated and then you could play again. Fine. He's made his decision. Whatever. It's whatever. When people say, oh, I would love to have Novak here. I wish he would make the right choice. I don't care. I don't care if he's here or not. Like, I, that probably sounds petty, but I feel similarly to how I felt when Alexander Zverev got hurt. Uh, I'm not celebrating. I'm certainly not celebrating, but I do not care. Why should I? That was so wild. People who were out here <laughs> calling him every single animal under the sun. And then once he m- messes up his ankles, like, oh my, oh my stars. Oh my stars. 
I mean, you don't have to. Like, nobody's watching. I, I don't get it. Anyway, let's let's move on from Novak, shall we? Yes, please. Yeah, uh, to something even worse. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Nick Kyrgios's court case for the charge of common assault has been adjourned until October fourth. His lawyer had requested a three-month delay that would take it to the end of November, and the judge rejected this and said that would be an indulgence to both the attorney and the client. Uh, the lawyer was arguing that Nick spends very little time in Canberra and the lawyer is going on leave <laughs> at the end of the year. How nice. The judge did grant an adjournment until the uh, beginning of October. It's longer than their normal adjournments, but, you know, he's famous. You've you've heard about this other frivolous lawsuit from the woman he accused of having 700 drinks at Wimbledon? <laughs> You heard this, right? I did. This, this. I don't know what to make of this. Like, is this just not the biggest example of just how litigious Western people are? I can't <laughs> speak for other people. <laughs> but like, in yes. Nick's defense, I feel like he was very flippant and joking about it. And so what? What is detrimental to your life or career if somebody said you had 700 drinks? Nobody actually believes you had 700 drinks. Mm-hmm. What I think this is, is now this, this is how rich people are, first of all. The other thing is this, this is serving as a perfect distraction from the very legitimate charges against him, the domestic assault case that is ongoing. So now when you search Nick Kyrgios in Google News, what you get is a defamation lawsuit that is clearly ridiculous. And the mainstream media are taking the bait they'll gladly cover this because it's funny. And so what's happening is that this is another bathroom break drama. It feels like this perfect distraction from a legitimate uh, domestic violence case. And so now we're talking about this stupid lawsuit that obviously has no weight. And this is probably the most American thing about me is the way that I view uh, slander, libel, and defamation. (laughs) American laws make it very difficult as a plaintiff to sue somebody for those things. And I know in European countries, it's quite different. Anyway, uh, I mean, was this woman disadvantaged? Like, does she lose her job? Uh, but the, the laws are different there. But the very fact that we're talking about it is this perfect distraction from something that's actually pretty serious. Right. And is that just uh, an unfortunate byproduct? Or are you saying something about it is by design? No, no. I mean, I'm I'm, there's no like conspiracy here in, in my view. I'm just saying that the mainstream press needs to do better, right? Like this is not serious. This is tabloid stuff. So stop covering it. Right. I mean, I think the, the biggest takeaway is that it, it highlights the state of clickbait press. I mean, the majority of even legitimate reporting is tailored to get the most clicks, right? The, right. And of course, like I, I understand the, the need, like I worked for a newspaper. I, (laughs) I know how little digital advertising is paying, but how long did it take the tennis world to acknowledge that there was even an accusation against Alexander Zverev? What, a a year? You are right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. I'm just saying that it, it's two forces at play here that result in a, in a situation where players are protected even more, they're insulated even more from any real repercussions. You yeah. have the clickbait stuff. Like how many times you go on, on your phone or whatever and you get a headline that says, Naomi Osaka shocks the tennis world with latest announcement. And the announcement is that she has a new fanny pack or some crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know right that, right that is the or, whole point or she called serena williams her tennis mom you know and right. people were upset it's so you know it's the yahoo sports it's the tennis world usa no but even the more quote-unquote legitimate tennis outlets operate on that same spectrum yeah just yeah. to a more muted and moderate degree and mm-hmm. they have zero desire anybody 
involved has zero desire to wade into those Ben Rothenberg waters of <laughs> addressing the the underbelly of what's going on with a lot of these players and the myriad accusations of domestic violence, a few of them now in actual court. Yeah. The thing that's most interesting to me about this Kyrgios thing and watching him this summer is how he's all of a sudden, since these allegations have come up, begun to take his tennis, quote unquote, more seriously. The thing that the tennis commentariat, the tennis tennis press, tennis fans, that they've been just beckoning for his entire career, now is the time that he's doing it. And Mm -hmm. we've seen, and I'm not saying this is a direct correlation and that's why he's doing it, because there's certainly other reasons at play. He says his mother is really ill. You know, he has in the past struggled, maybe still does struggle with depression. There are a lot of things that that go into the Nick Kyrgios experience. But why now does that translate into taking your tennis seriously, into playing week to week? Because we've seen how the tennis press and the press period goes to bat for these men when they're wrapped up in cases. That it is more important to talk about and celebrate the wins on court and the ability to continue to do so than to engage with the allegations off of the court. And so if, you're, if you have a sinister reading of the situation, you can see that that is potentially something that is happening right here. Yeah. And I think the cynical reading is that you can get away with acting a certain way if you're winning. It's no mystery that that Nick was criticized very, very harshly for years because of the way he behaved on court and he wasn't winning, right? He was tanking matches. Now he's winning and it's like, oh, all this money that we've sunk into making Nikirios a thing is finally uh, reaping a return on investment. We're going to like, we are going to flog this and it doesn't matter what's happening off court. All right. So let's move on to the tennis that's upcoming. Today, the draw came out, and it was one of those where it just gets it just gets released. Zero attempt at transparency. And at least it seems that complete and utter disaster was avoided with Serena. She yeah. drew she drew Danka Kovinich in the first round, which still a match she could lose. Kovinich, even though she hasn't she hasn't been in the best of form or hasn't had many matches. You know how it goes. You are given this moment and all these women, they step up to the challenge. (laughs) They are ready to meet this Williams challenge. And Kofinich has already tweeted about it. She was like, oh my God, this is my moment. I'm so happy to have this opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, so Kofinich is best on clay. The last match that she won actually was a uh, second round at Roland Garros. She lost to Iga Sviantek in the third round. Uh, we we take nobody for granted at this point, right? In in Williams' fandom, everybody is a threat. So Donka may have found her form, and she may find some inspiration facing Serena. But on paper, this is really the best that Serena could have hoped for. Uh, it's not even a qualifier who's rounded into form, right, by winning three matches. This is just a, a lower-ranked player. Uh, she could have, I mean, Serena could have drawn Iga Shiontek in the first round. Mm-hmm. And same with Venus. And so overall, I find the draws to be quite balanced. There, there are a ton of really interesting first-round matches, especially on the women's side. But overall, I don't, I don't know. Maybe like maybe I didn't pay close enough attention, but I don't see any of these like quarters of death, you know, like we normally see. I mean, that's all on you, Boo, because I have had zero time to look at that stuff. Oh, so why don't we let me lead it then? How about that? Yeah. Also, (laughs) the thing about the Serena thing is, yes, she may still lose, but also it's not to anybody objectionable, which was a big part of the consideration for me. (laughs) 
<laughs> you didn't want her to open against Radakanu and Luce. Or, no. Right, or somebody like that. Fair enough. I didn't want no changing of the guard narrative. I don't want it to be an upstart. I don't want it to be somebody who is, you know, just nasty on court. He's a mess <laughs> on court. If that person wins, I want to be like, okay, on some level, like, good for you, girl. You know? Right, right. And and Kovanich would be one of those people. I mean, I don't, I certainly don't want Serena to lose, but let's uh, start with the top half here. First round matches to look out for, first of all. Anisimova opens against Putinseva. Zhang Ostapenko is is the headliner. And this is so funny because we were just on our last episode comparing the kind of the bravado of Zhang versus Ostapenko and what sets them apart. That is a lot. It sure is. We were just talking about how Zhang, her confidence is a, like sort of tongue in cheek and Ostapenko's is deadpan, sincere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I absolutely love this. I was like, I, I really wish you could watch that. And I was like, well, if it's not Monday, then I will. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is the part of the draw that will be on Tuesday. Oh, the women, cool. the women's so I, top half will be on Tuesday, supposedly. So I definitely will be there. I'll be able to tell you all about that one. <laughs> Please do. Uh, the other, so the other big ones, Muguruza Towson. Uh, Garbinia has had an absolutely dismal season, as you know. She continues to rise in the rankings, which is just like bad bitch behavior. But she is so out of form. And Towson could pose a serious danger here. Well, Towson has also had terrible results in the last few months. True. A lot of it due to injury as well. And uh, she won a couple matches last week or this week, I believe. So maybe she is back on the come up. Perhaps. You, you uh, said that that was bad bitch behavior, but really it's a function of how the rankings work. <laughs> yes. It, I mean, it has nothing to do with Garbi- what Garbina actually did because what she has been doing is losing a lot, uh, but she's maintaining her ranking. However, after the WTA finals points come off, uh, that's all she wrote. She's got to do something. <laughs> Ooh, that's going to be rough. <laughs> Raducanu Cornet. Let's talk about this for a second. A lot of people are calling this as a huge upset special. Cornet has got a lot upset going for who? Well, Raducanu is the 11 seed and the defending champion. She's mm. expected to win this match. Uh, see, Cornet, Miss Cornet is not someone to be messed with in these situations. She just came off beating Sviantek at Wimbledon. At Roland Garros, she beat Ostapenko. In Australia, she got to her first ever career quarterfinal at her big age of 32, which is younger than me. I don't mean that as an insult, but she's been <laughs> doing this for a long time. Cornet is having a career year at age 32. And mm-hmm. so this is, you know, watch out, Emma. I know you like the regular duty balls here. <laughs> you like the conditions, but watch out for Alize because she is here for drama always. Do you remember that SNL skit back in the day? It would have been around 1998 when the Divas Live happened with Celine and Mariah and Aretha and Shania. And there was a skit about Celine and it was played, I believe, by Anna Gasteyer. Yeah. And she was like, oh my God, I cannot believe who me happened to me. I was just little awkward French girl with plenty ear infection. And now I am the biggest star in the world. Like Alize gives that energy, you know, she and does, she, yeah. she gives the energy of wanting to be in that specific moment where she can collect those flowers with complete surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I hope this doesn't come off as Francophobic if that's a thing. But uh, yeah, the sort of caricatures of French divas like Anna Gasteyer, uh, they sound a lot like Alizé's real voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Alizé is going to be playing in her 63rd consecutive slam, which I feel that we should recognize here because that will make her the new record holder. She passes Aisugiyama. That is longevity right there. It, do, do the math on that. How many, how many straight years is that? I don't know. I, I looked it up online. It's Did you from say like, 63? Yeah, it's from like 2006 or five or something. So that's 15 and three quarter years consecutive. Mm-hmm. To be able to qualify and not be injured for that many majors in a row is just a crazy achievement. I, uh, I feel like she was injured for a lot of those. Well, but <laughs> she was able to play. <laughs> she's perpetually bandaged. Naomi Osaka versus Danielle Collins. Which is, I put a little sad face next to because Danielle is a a Grand Slam runner-up this year on Hardcourt. She hasn't played since Lausanne in uh, July. And before that, it was like a loss in Wimbledon round one, loss in Roland Garros round two. She's not in amazing form. Naomi is not in her best form. So I don't really know what to expect from it. I wish both were going in more healthy. Danielle is one to show up after these long stretches of not playing well or missing time and put a run together, mm. as is Naomi. They both do that. And this is the surface where they're in their bag. So it could be a <laughs> mess or it could be fire. Yeah. Alison Van Oetvink gets Venus Williams in the first round. What do you, what's your feeling about this? Alison um, is a big hitter. I think that could be good for Venus. Yeah, and also Allison had to retire in her last match. She hasn't had the best record recently. I mean, what do you what do you hope for? What do you expect to get as a first round opponent when you're in Venus and Serena's position? Right. It, it can't get much better than this. Venus has to play potentially Rybakin in the second round if she wins. That's what happens as well. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. gonna be a continuously hard long winding road and it's just a matter of how long venus wants to stay on that road right but you know things aren't kind out here for seated players right arena sabalenka could play kai kanepi in the second Mm -hmm. round kanepi was a runner-up at dc and she loves beating seated players another second round that's very interesting is victoria azarenka versus marta kostiuk if both players get there, Azarenka, uh, well, you were there at the the Place for Peace event. Azarenka was originally going to appear, and a few of the Ukrainian players, Marta Kostyuk in particular, were pretty vocal about how they didn't want anyone from Belarus or Russia to participate. And so Vika was withdrawn. And a whole ass statement was issued by the USTA. Yeah. And so from afar, it it does feel that they botched this Ukraine event a little bit because it wasn't clear how much the Ukrainian players were involved and the Ukrainian embassy even needed to get involved at some point. Uh, At some point, it must become a statement in of itself for Russian players and Belarusian players to participate in something like this. At what point... Do you balance that potential good with having respect for and feelings for the the Ukrainian players? Yeah, because I guess I want to know, like, who, you know, who was this event meant to serve? If you're planning this event and you end up with a lot of hurt feelings among the Ukrainian players, you probably didn't succeed. And I understand both sides. Like, it could be a, a wonderful statement to have... Azarenka or Rublev or Kazatkina play as this sort of anti-war protest. And it could also be alienating for the very people you're trying to support. Yeah, I don't have answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. I'm not in tune. I'm not on the pulse. These are just speculations. Right. I just wonder how long will this continue? Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime... There could be a Kostyuk Azarenko round two. And how uh, many people will show up with Ukrainian flags uh, and sit right. baseline and <laughs> stare at Azarenko the whole time? Yeah, yeah. And that's part of it. I guess let's go through maybe like the round threes and round four potentials here. 
Ego wasn't given, I mean, she was given a totally reasonable draw for the one number one seed. It's really all about what sort of form she's in. Is she feeling these Wilson balls that she has already said she doesn't like? Uh, is she getting more comfortable? She has Jessica Pagula, the number eight seed. Like this is, you know, the lowest seed she could possibly face in the quarterfinals. I don't know. Like, is this a chance for someone like Zhang Qinwen to have another star-making moment? Is this an Ostapenko moment? Is Petra going to sort of slash her way to the semifinals like she did to the final in Cincinnati? Newly engaged Petra. <laughs> right. Elisa Mertens, you know, like, there's no sure or bet in tennis. She will be in the third round. Uh, well, yes, that is one of the streaks to look for at this tournament. Mm. And then in the second quarter here, Bedosa is the number four seed. And, you know, I feel a little bad, but I always feel that Bedosa is the weakest of the seeds who anchor a quarter. Because we have Belinda Bencic, who we could she could face in round four. Naomi is unseeded. Amaratu Kanu is number 11. Like, she could be a quarterfinal opponent for the top seed in this quarter. We have Sabalenka. We have Karolina Pliskova. And and the Wimbledon champion, Rybakina. To me, this this is the most up-in-the-air quarter on the women's side. And Venus Williams. And Venus. And Kaya Kanepi. <laughs> Listen, my approach to this tournament is no worries, just vibes. I'm just here to show up, go where I want, do whatever I want to do, take it all in, and and see where the cookies crumble. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the second half here, or the bottom half here. We're still on the woman? We're, we got three more quarters to go? Oh, man. You know, we usually speed through the men. Uh, so let me quickly maybe point out some first-round matches that I'm looking at. Madison Keys, Diana Yastremsko. Uh, if Madison wins, she could potentially face Georgie in the second round, which is is kind of wild. And then oh, I'll, be, I'll be at that one. Yes, Mark, circle that and send it to me. <laughs> and Madison in the third round could possibly face Coco Goff. I'll be at that one. Well, will I? Well, I don't know if you'll be there. Still, if it's but... Friday, if it's Friday, I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> uh, Harmony Tan versus Bianca Andreescu. Does Harmony make it two for two in beating big famous players in the first round? I don't think so. Like, I think Bianca would get out of that, but still, it was notable. Tatiana Maria, the Wimbledon semifinalist, will face Maria Sakari in the first round. Sakari is defending a semifinal here, a semifinal which I dare say she should have won. Well, well. So those are like those are the first rounds I'm looking out for. Um, Simona Halep honestly like has as good a chance as any, but unfortunately she has folks like Coco Goff, Madison Keys, Carolyn Garcia, Maria Sakari, Beatrice Hadamaya, all in her corner. These are some of the you know some of the players who played best over that summer swing. At some point, Coco is going to figure out that matchup. You have to think. Oh, it has to happen, right? You can't just hope that Simona will retire. (laughs) (laughs) You have to figure out a game plan here. And then the fourth quarter is where Serena Williams is. There are a lot of question marks here. Uh, Anne Shabour opens against Madison Brengel, who's playing well in Cleveland. I I mean, this is the thing, right? Anne's is prone to some very shocking losses in Grand Slams. I'm just saying. I mean, she's still fairly new as a top player right. at Grand Slams. Mm. It's just been a year or two that she's been on this huge upswing, right? Yes. And she's already made the Wimbledon final. So like... she ha- Oh, I'm not... You know, she's had amazing results. To me, she is... Although she's seated five here she's the clear number two player of the year oh okay i i think so uh we have kazakinan here rogers could face jabour in the third round 
Shelby Rogers beat the number one player, Ash Barty, here last year. I feel like Shelby Rogers is one of the more accomplished, maybe maybe accomplished isn't the right word, but one of the more talented under-the-radar player. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's because she follows Candace Owens on Twitter that people don't take her seriously. Oh, wow. You're really exposing that, aren't you? Um, I mean, I don't know what the nature of that follow is. Mm-hmm. It's just an observation. <laughs> it's public. It's for public consumption. It's out there. Uh, but you're right. Shelby is dangerous. Where, like, She likes these, these sort of star-studded matchups. Now she's seated number 31, which gives her a little cover. Dasha Kazakina. Oh, she's been playing well for a while. Mm-hmm. And she's probably the most accomplished player on the WTA who doesn't have a title. You could make that argument. I'm looking through her following list now, and she also follows Elaine Thompson Harrow. Oh, fabulous. You know, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, elsewhere in this quarter, we have Dasha Kazatkina, Leila Fernandez, uh, Krishika Bazal all the way down to number 23 right now. And then, of course, Annette Contivate and Serena Williams, who could play each other in the second round. Contivate is, is on a pretty dire stretch, uh, but I don't want to sort of put that in the universe because apparently, I mean, she'll probably turn it around as soon as I say it. Well, she's uh, been struggling with long COVID, right? Uh, so that's what she says. Uh, and we, you know, it's not reasonable to expect an easy, an easy run here for Serena. Like winning a match is a victory in my mind. And if she wins that match, she'll face the number two seed in Contivate. But it feels like a very, very weak two seed right now. The, but the, the moment you say that. <laughs> you know, I know. But for the folks who will reach the semifinal in this quarter. It could be Jabor, could be Kazakina, Fernandez, Contivate, Serena Williams, uh, Isla Tomlanovic. Like, <laughs> take your pick. Look, I'll say this. If Serena somehow manages to find herself in the thick of it at the back end of this tournament, that'll be one of the achievements of her career, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how. That happens. But again, it would be foolhardy to doubt her. Yeah. Even apparently, apparently, she's looking physically much better than she did in Cincinnati. She has acquired the services, the, the advising of Renee Stubbs for this tournament. We'll see how that goes. But mm-hmm. she seems committed, engaged running all over the place in practice like she was in Toronto. And so perhaps the perceived alleged knee troubles that she was having is less of an issue right now. But there's just a lot stacked against her scripting a fairy tale here. And so (laughs) for my personal self-care regimen, I am practicing uh, take it one match at a time thing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Shall we move on to the men's draw? Quickly, please. As usual, going through the men's draw, it seems like there's a lot. There are a lot fewer opportunities for shockers, right? There are fewer dangerous floaters than the women's draw. The rankings feel that they hold a bit more. I guess they just hold a bit more weight, uh, which is a double-sided coin, right? It means that there are fewer intriguing matchups early on is that the same as a two-edged sword yeah yeah i think i screwed i think i screwed up that metaphor but you know what i meant right Mm -mm. double-edged sword (laughs) double-edged yeah let's start at the top here daniel medvedev he is the first non-big four number one seed at a major since andy roddick at the 2004 australian open think about where you were in 2004 I was, I mean, a at that point, I was still a freshman in college. Yes. Right? Yep. So you were just probably starting as an RA. Um, yes. My some of, some of the people, some of the people listening may have been toddlers at the time. 
some may not even have been born yet. <laughs> right. That's that's over 18 years ago. Yeah. So it's just it's difficult to to imagine that the big four and mostly the big three have had such a stretch of dominance for nearly 20 years. Daniel Medvedev is the deserved number one seed, the defending champion. But what I'm intrigued about here is that Ben Shelton, who is a wild card, opens against a qualifier. And the past few weeks for Ben Shelton, everything has been coming up roses. He beats Casper Ruud. He won the NCAA singles title earlier this year. And he's decided to go pro. He's left University of Florida. Now he opens in the U.S. Open against a qualifier? What an opportunity. I mean, he's repped by IMG, right? So once you go pro, you've got this entire network, this whole machine, the machinery of it to get you fully front and center. Mm. He was at the tennis place for peace thing last night. Yeah. Why? Why? I, but he, I but honestly, I feel like he became a star in like 2.3 seconds. All of a sudden, he's famous. It feels that way. Yeah. He could play Nikolos Bazilashvili in the second round. Bazilashvili is another one who uh, was just back in court and has had a truly terrible run of form. And I sincerely hope that that truly terrible run of form continues for him. It's just my opinion. I mean, you're, you're waiting for a disagreement here? <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever, whoever gets out of that will face Medvedev in the third round. But of course, the big headline is that Nick Kyrgios and Medvedev could play in the round of 16. Of course, Bautista Agut and J.J. Wolf and some other people may have something to say about it, but that's where all the tennis bros are looking, of course. Kyrgios opens against his bestie, Kokonakis, by the way. Oh. Yeah. So there's I mean, that. Hmm. I'm not going to watch it, but enjoy. Uh, elsewhere, elsewhere that is, that is, in that... I guarantee you that's going to be a night match. Yeah, I'm sure. Elsewhere in that first quarter, Pablo Carreño Busta starts against Dominic Team, which is honestly a really just a really unfortunate draw for Team because he is uh, essentially the defending champion. You know, he is for the first time defending his title in 2020, and he's sick. Not like not only is he trying to build back his career and his form. Now he's sick and apparently has a blocked ear and everything. So I just kind of feel bad for the guy at this point. I mean, technically, Rafa is defending his title as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a very unusual situation where we have three men's players uh, kind of defending their titles. Carreño Busta is coming off of the, the win in Montreal. And so it's a really tough, tough out for Dominic. From there, you know, we have Demonauer, we have Hachanov. Felix, who could face Hachanov in the third round, PCB in the fourth, uh, all to face Daniel Medvedev in a potential quarterfinal. The second quarter men's is led by Stefano Tsitsipas and Kasper Ruud, the four and five seeds respectively. Uh, what is Ruud up to? I don't know. Like, how far will he get? He would have to get past Taylor Fritz in the fourth round. <laughs> you know, Fritz could be a real threat to reach the the semifinals here. So could Stefanos, who was the runner-up in Cincinnati. Matteo Berrettini is all the way down to number 13, but could play Stefanos in the fourth round. I'll tell you this, at the Tennis Place for Peace event last night, the two two of the biggest uh, rounds of applause that I heard were for Tsitsipas and Alcaraz. The crowd went wild for Stefanos. And for Carlos. Mm. Uh, it, it took me by surprise. I'll say that. <laughs> Kyle Edmund is here. This is Kyle's first slam main draw since the 2020 Australian Open. Did you know he, that? He really had his career derailed by injuries. Really did. Yeah. And sorry, I have to correct myself. Kyle's last Grand Slam main draw was the US Open in 2020. It's still a long time. Yeah. But... I mean, overall, this feels like a very balanced draw. Like, moving into the bottom half is where we have Rafa Nadal, Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner, Cam Nori. Like, there are contenders on both halves of the draw. And so, 
I would say like if you're a Nadal fan, you probably have to be feeling pretty good about this draw. However, the two slams that he did win this year had a horrendous draw. If you were looking at it on paper from the beginning, <laughs> right? And fans were fetching about it from the beginning of each tournament. I mean, we say this all the time. Mm-hmm. Draws collapse. There's absolutely no point in trying to make predictions. Right. So uh, on the very bottom of the draw here, Nadal opens against Rinki Hijikata from Australia. He could play old nemesis Fabio Fognini in the second round. Uh, Fognini plays Karatsev in the first round, which is interesting. But third round opponent is the number 32 seed, Ketsmanovic. See, everything that I saw on Twitter today listing Nadal's potential path had Karatsev at the second round. Oh, okay. But because I guess they're going by ranking, I had no idea that Fonini was an option as well, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. gives me pause. <laughs> right. Even now, even now. Um, what else is going on here? We have Alcaraz is in the third quarter, Rafa is in the fourth. They could potentially meet in the semifinals. Alcaraz would have to get through folks like Borna Chorich, Marin Cilic, Yannick Sinner, and at this point, does Yannick Sinner have more Grand Slam experience? Will that get him through a match against Carlos Alcaraz, say in the quarterfinals, for example? In Yannick, I do not trust. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there are some other people I do not trust here, right? There's Hubert Hercoc, who could play Yannick in the fourth round. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov draws Yannick in the third. Grigor left Winston-Salem ill. So I hope I hope that he's okay. He he had to retire from a match there because he was unwell. But he said he's going to be ready. Borna Chorich, if he's feeling himself, right? Like if he is translating his form from Cincinnati, that's not going to be easy for for Charles or whatever. What are we supposed to call? I'm not calling him Carlitos. I'm just simply not. I'm Carlitos. so sorry. Why I, do you I that, will that's... not. That's too childlike. No comment. It's too, it's, I just it's too affect. It's too affectionate. I just won't be calling him Carlitos. Thank you very much. Uh, in Rafa's quarter, Cam Nori, Andrew Rublev. Oh God, it could like Halgarun could lose to John Isner in the second round. Wait, so you're saying Rafa could play either Rune or Isner? No, no, that's that's a ways down the road. So in in Rafa's section. Uh, the the seeded round of 16 is Diego Schwartzman, but Francis Tiafo is in there as well. Diego and Tiafo could play in the fourth, or sorry, the third round. In the quarters, there's folks like Nori, Rune, Isner, Denis Shapovalov, Andrei Rublev. So a lot of these people will have to knock each other out before mm-hmm. they reach Rafa. So, but you're saying it, it it could be a Tiafo Nadal fourth round yes it could be could be i i'd I'd like to see it i mean in new york like could you ask for anything better for the crowd so again i don't know if we uh we offered a lot of (laughs) analysis here because we didn't really give you any predictions do you have anything those i feel like those who listen to us now understand and expect that okay thank you thank you so much i feel like we've we've drawn that line in the sand pretty clear for a while now yeah and uh we're we're in different countries and we're trying to communicate here so we're doing our very best and we're not even able to see each other because the shitty wi-fi in this hotel room (laughs) it works even worse if we're both on video (laughs) yeah uh give us a little preview what are you doing over the next week you're going to be in new york until or you're going to be on site like until friday which is tomorrow yeah i'm going back to next friday Oh, correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I won't be on site every day. Right, right. Yeah, so I'll be there for first and second round entirely. And then likely some of Friday during the day. We'll see. All right. I think we should wrap this up. Yes. Thank you so that much. Is, that is my request. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no. My any... name is Jonathan. Oh, that was I quick. was serious about this. I was okay. serious about this. 
My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR on Twitter. Two L's, two T's. The Body Serve at linktree.com slash the body serve. Find everything there. Wonderful to meet all the people that I have so far. Justin, Sea Salt, and Tennis Panorama News. Great to finally meet you as well. Shout out to all the TBS fans in the land in NYC. Till next time. Thank you very much.